Quick. All right, all right, all right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Rockstar 101. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He is the rock star. Class is in session, and we are joined today by Amy Osborne. Amy Osborne, thank you for joining us today. You new single is out, House of Lies. Yes. And the album is going to be out on October 30th. So kind of give us a rundown of how everything came to be for this album, the single, and kind of the uh, the process behind it. Well, um, you know, I think the process behind it was pretty standard as far as, you know, writing the songs and then recording the songs. And, you know, I worked with a great uh, community of co-writers and musicians, which is really fun. Um, and, you know, it covers a couple different genres, I like to think. Um, I, you know, I, I wanted it to feel like it took you on a little bit of an adventure as everything being quite, you know, in the same lane. So I'm pretty pleased with it. And October 30th, and what's the album going to be called? Vacare Adamare, which is Latin for to be free in love, essentially. That's what it the reason I had you say it is because I, I no matter love how many times I've heard you like say that. it, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to pronounce it properly. Can you say it one so. more time? I love that you made it something that fucked up. It's awesome. Vacare Adamare. Vacare Adamare. That's dope. Yeah. That's dope. Okay, great. That's awesome. I didn't know the album was called that. That's fantastic. I had the same thing when, when Amy Lee first came out with the band Evanescence and people used to give her shit for being like, why didn't you just name your band or your record or your music something that people just can, can just remember? And she just was like, dude, just fucking learn it. Just learn it. Just figure it out. Like, dude, just, we're asking you to learn one fucking word. Like, just figure it out. And she had balls of steel when it came to it. She's like, no, this is my band name. Same as you. Like, this is my album. This is my work. I'm going to call it what I want. I don't fucking cater to you. Good on you. Thank you. So now now the question is, Shim, can you say the name of the album? No, but I'm going to figure it out. I've got to pull it up in front of me because I have the name of the single in front of me from the information that was sent to us, but I did not know the album was called that. But now, yeah, I'll do my job. I'm going to learn that shit. Okay. Vicari Edamame. No, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn it properly. Okay. <laughs> say it one more time say, for our audience. Did you say did you say Vicari Edamame? Yeah, yeah, I was just hilarious. I'm just being an idiot. Yeah, I was just being an idiot. <laughs> like the beans? Um, yeah. Okay, it's Vicari Adamare. Edamare. Edamare. Right. Adamare. Yeah, just think of Admire and then add an A on the end of it. Adamare. Vicari I like that. There you go. Adamare. There you go. No, more power to you for doing for having a title like that. Um, that's Thank awesome. You. Good on you. All right. Brand. So you so you said for the album, um, it, it's it's not necessarily one specific kind of a genre. So what can people expect? Because the song "House of Lies," very Stranger Things theme esque. Mm. It's a fantastic song. Um, yeah. So what can we expect on the album then? Um, definitely a lot of synth pop, um, some trip hop, uh, some some heavier kind of. Um, guitar-backed songs, um, very melodic, slightly melancholy, but then, you know, some of the synth-pop tracks are kind of, like, synth-wavy, I guess. So, you know, it's all pretty moody, but each song I feel is a little bit different, so. I was going to ask you, when do you draw the lyrical inspiration for some of those ideas? Well, um, I guess different things I've observed and gone through and, just witnessed other people go through that I kind of find interesting. A lot of the time when I'm writing, uh, I tend not to have a subject in mind. It kind of, I feel like it kind of channels what it wants it to be, whatever is out there, helping people be creative if there is anything. So 
I tend to like to leave myself pretty open to that. And I don't like to be too specific in my lyrics. Um, I really admire, you know, certain artists that really tell these beautiful stories. That's definitely something that I'd say I haven't quite strengthened yet. So I kind of like to be a bit vague, but um, yeah. Awesome. Well, so the topic that we by were the way, bring sorry, up let today. me just let me just cut in. Oh, if yes. you feel an awkward pause, it's because last time we did an interview, I talked for half an hour about things like writing <laughs> lyrics and song structure and things that you and I are interested in, and it just went on for way too long. So I'm making a point of holding back to and saying, back. "Oh no, I totally remember. I wrote this song. Have you been through that? Have you dealt with this?" And I'm like, "But I've got to just remember that we're you guys conducting spent ten interview. minutes on layering vocals." Yes, I know, I know, I know. I, it was my fault. But I spent 10, probably twenty minutes <laughs> discussing how someone how we lay vocals differently because your genre of music is so different to mine, and so the style of layering vocals or choosing not to layer vocals. So I'm I'm more interested in that than anything in the entire world. Well, ask the question. I mean, if that's something. I mean, just. Okay, all right, all no right. So I do to, have one. Okay, you know, thank you, Brandon. Okay, thank you, Brandon. All right, so I do have one more question for you, welcome. Amy, on that. Whereas, yes. Because I know that when it comes to writing lyrics and telling a story, there are times when you get it. Okay, so if you get your little nugget, you get your first inception of an idea where you go, oh, the universe has delivered me this phrase over that melody and we're going in this direction. Sometimes right. do you say, okay, well, I'm, I'm curious, which is it 50-50 or do you usually naturally lean towards the concept of, I'm going to take this little piece of inspiration and what have I been through in my life that I can relate this to and how do you tell something that has happened in my life versus I read this great Edgar Allan Poe story or a great thing that I saw on Netflix or whatever and you go, oh, there's this story and this thing that someone else did and I kind of want to travel down that path instead. How much of it, when you get your nugget and you decide on a direction, do you go, no, I I want to relate it all to my personal experience or where do you take it? It really is 50-50, I'd say, because it, it, it all depends on my headspace, who I'm writing with, where I'm writing, how tired I am. I mean, a lot of these songs I wrote when I was in England quite jet-lagged, and it, it's kind of funny when you're not in your clearest <coughs> headspace, what can kind of, you know, what the result can be. But I definitely find uh, inspiration from, as I said, people's stories, different subjects, different things I'm interested in, and um, as well as my own experiences. And sometimes I can combine the two in a song. So it can I can have a relatable lyric in there as well as something I've observed, whether it's something on TV or Netflix or what's going on in the world. So, so you basically use whatever is at your disposal in that moment. You go, cool, I'm not going to – you don't decide and you sort of let the song decide. Yeah, I would say I lean to, more towards letting the song decide – um, kind of where it's going to go. Because if I, I feel like if I get too heady and too specific, it can kind of um, hinder a kind of more freeing style of writing, which can happen when you don't put those kind of, I guess, guidelines down beforehand. Excellent. Yeah, I agree. I do the same thing, I think, way too much. I fall in that <laughs> trap all the fucking time. All right. Sorry, Brenda. I'm done. I'm done now. You can continue. No, dude. I, look, I, I don't want it to be like, oh, Shum's going to sit there and be quiet. Like, if you <laughs> Just don't just don't go into song layering for 10 okay, minutes. Okay, right, all right, all right, go ahead. Well, so the, the topic that we were going to discuss uh, today for Rockstar 101 is uh, rock soundtracks. And it was something that Shim and I kind of teased in the last episode because it was really, I think, late 90s, early 2000s. There was a lot of movies that had really good rock soundtracks. Um, yeah. Spawn, Scorpion King, 
Um, what were some of the other ones that we listed? End of Days was End another of days one. Was the other one that we brought up. We brought up those three, and we were going to start discussing other options. And as I went through the options, I remember going, I can't. I got personal opinions on it, but I don't want to. But like, I'll get to mine soon. I'm, I'm interested in what you think, Amy. <laughs> so, in regards to even those, are there other soundtracks? It can be even be a score if you want, because something that I listen to heavily. Uh, is a lot of Thomas Newman. He scores. He scored everything from The Green Mile to movies like Finding Nemo, um, movies like that where it's just it's you want something that kind of brings an atmosphere to the house. So, is there anything in relation to a soundtrack or a score of a movie that you tend uh, to kind of gravitate towards? Well, yeah. I mean, as I mentioned before we started, I think Trent Reznor's really the go-to guy. If I have a had anything to do with a movie um, or choosing a, who would essentially do all the work for the soundtrack, it would, I would, if I could hire Trent Reznor, because I mean, he's so incredible with that. Um, I believe he's actually going to be scoring Disney's new, new movie, Soul. It's him and Atticus Ross. Yes, Atticus as well. And also, I'm, my mind's gone a blank. Um, one of the members of Radiohead does a phenomenal mm. job of scoring, and he did. Um, what was the movie with Daniel Day-Lewis where he played the oil tycoon? Oh, my God. Oh, I didn't know he did that. I didn't know yes, he did that. the guy from Radiohead. And it was so incredible. He's got, oh, fuck. That blows my mind. I did not know. I knew that the guy from Radiohead was doing scores. I didn't know because that's one of my favorite modern-day scores that I had forgotten about. Oh, it's so like, – it, like, I get chills thinking about no, it. It's, it's so phenomenal. Also, again, my mind is completely blank because I'm pretty tired – but the movie with Amy Adams about the extraterrestrials that oh, yeah. show up in that like acorn-shaped floating UFO in the middle of a field. Whoever did that score is just untouchable. Oh, Didn't you hate Arrival? Wasn't yes. Arrival. Arrival. The Arrival soundtrack is literally one of my yeah. favorites of all time. Dude, you got dope taste. You're right. You're bringing you up stuff I forgot about. Up. See, I'm, I'm stuck in the 90s now. I'm stuck in the late 90s and I've got a couple of things I was going to say. And like, you're, just, you're smoking every idea I had because you're right. Those scores just are the, 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 the There Will Be Blood is probably the best score since. I mean, like I was going to I was going to say the for me, American Beauty. The score of American yeah. Beauty, I that's, find that's Thomas one. Newman. That's Thomas Newman. I find that that's Thomas Newman. That and is a really interesting score, and it's he, one of these things <clears throat> because music has that ability to you, you hear it, it takes you back, or it, it can take you somewhere, it can transport you somewhere else, or it can take you back to a previous part of your life. But the thing that I love is that that particular score has another la layer with the Onion because it's like um, uh, it, it was it was so. I don't want to say plagiarized, but it was copied. Like so many people wanted their score to sound like American Beauty for years after that. Mm -hmm. You've got yeah, themes to TV true. shows like, but American Beauty was the first film. I think there was one film that he scored right before American Beauty that kind of had that feel, but wasn't as successful as American Beauty. But after that, everybody wanted their stuff to sound like that piece of music. And that's when you know, okay, he's crossed some boundary or done something amazing where everyone's trying to copy it. And that, that's why it always sticks in my mind because even though you're I think it's I think it might be interesting because for example, the score that you're talking about for um uh uh There Will Be Blood can't be replicated. It is so no. No, raw. No, 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 no. It is so raw and so lonely and so uh, manic and and it sounds like madness. It's perfect. It sounds like internal it madness. Sounds like it sounds like severe anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> 
and it, and it <laughs> creates that in you when you watch it. Yeah. Whereas the difference with American Beauty is that it was popcorn. It was a popcorn movie and it was a popcorn score that was like, it was just perfectly, it had this great, it was a little bit jolty, a little bit dark, but it never went down the fucking rabbit hole like that other score did. So as a result, people could say, oh, I want my score to sound like that. And it's really just piano and pads and a little bit of a string section going on, but it's really that sort of interesting, lots of space. And he just landed in this lane where you could digest it and people could replicate it. You could write a, I could write a little bit of fucking piano and pad that kind of sounds like it because he laid the blueprint whereas if you tried to replicate a score like that same as with Trent if you tried to sound make if you try to make a score like the social network you're not going to come close he lives in another planet like that's I think that's really an interesting part of the discussion that like sometimes you have these 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 scores or these pieces of music that like when I I have the greatest answer for your question Brandon on a piece of music that take like a song that takes you back because you're never gonna yeah. get, it's the lamest worst piece of music you're gonna it's gonna make you sick that the really? song that I pick but, so, I, but mean, do you, I mean we can go down this topic if you yeah. want already well yeah let's go let's go into that because I'm very interested in Amy's uh, answer to that as well a, a particular so song the other the other kind of topic that we were bringing up was is there a <laughs> band or um, a song that takes you back to a moment in time where it just, it's, it, it can be very peaceful for you. It can be very exciting for you. Like it, it just, it truly brings back those feelings. And for me, one of them actually was Thomas Newman. There's a scene in the movie Finding Nemo when they get blasted out of the EAC and there is nothing around them. And they're completely alone and you see this whale out there and they think it's like a small fish. And the way that that was scored and the way that he did that it's hands down one of the most peaceful songs I think I've ever heard in my life. It's called Haiku. And that one oh. I have in playlists all the time. But as far as bands go, one that always takes me back and it goes to a specific album and it's Aerosmith. And it's oh. the big ones album. And it's songs that not even a lot of people, like it's not their big hits. It's two songs that were on a, the big ones album that were new stuff. It was called Deuces Are Wild. Oh, that's and, the best um, song. I love that song. Oh, God. And now I can't even remember. The, uh, I think Blind Man was the other one. It's like those two songs, they immediately shoot me back to 15-year-old Brandon. Right. And I was, I was pretty damn happy at 15 years old. Like, I was doing good. Yeah. So those are the two for me. So, Amy, like, artist, song, or anything that, that just takes you back okay. to this kind of a feeling. Well, let's see. It would have to be Blur, Elastica, and Jamiroquai. Fucking dope choices. God. Okay, damn. now why? Like, what is it? What is like? What was going well, on? What does it take you back to? Well, Jamiroquai, Little L, and You Give Me Something. Those are just like such incredible, feel-good modern-day pop tracks, and his vocals are just untouchable. And then Blur and Elastica really were big parts of my angsty teen music years, and that just kind of takes me back to that time where there was nothing more exciting and waiting for those albums to come out and then just when they finally did rushing to the shop to yeah. get it and then just locking yourself in your room for hours listening to it over and over again <laughs> which i feel like you know this this generation doesn't really have that same type of intimate and sweet connection to music because everything's just so disposable now so those those bodies of work really do take me back well which era of blur are you talking about because i'm very curious which album which song which songs are you talking about God, there's so many. Um, a pretty early blur because I was like an actual kid when I was super, super into them. But, you know, the Gorillas, what Damon went on to do, I'm a huge fan of as well, which introduced me 
then to Little Dragon because he used the singer from Little Dragon. So he's been a part pretty much of most of my life musically. So See, I remember I was that asshole that when Blur came out with Song 2, I was like, dude, you haven't even listened to the first few albums. You're a poser. I was like, I hated <laughs> yeah, my friends totally. in school. I hated my friends in school because then they would go back and they would listen to the earlier stuff and go, well, this isn't like what I thought it was. This is like super pop and this has got like like 70s ABBA influences in parts of the choruses. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And they get all hardcore about it. And I'm like, dude, this is like music. This is real music. This is experimental. This is alternative. This is... Real fucking musicians doing real music. He doesn't say woo-hoo at all. Yeah, man. I know. Like, I drove me hell? nuts. Because every guy, God, you're taking me back, Brandon, because every guy in a band in high school, <laughs> they learned how to play guitar on that song. And that is the simplest song in the world. It's why I'm not saying it's a bad song. I love that song. But when they <laughs> when they learn that song and go, I can play guitar now and I, I love Blur, I'm like, I got so possessive of my bands when I was a kid, man. I would be like, you don't know this band. And you'd start to rattle off album tracks, like the, the 13th track on the first album like what's this one and they don't know anything and it uh, drive me nuts i would get so pissed off about it that's me that's me that's my life <clears throat> well so we got her answers all right you, you want you want my answers is this is gonna this is cheesy i'm going whatever to, it is any rock cred that i might have had left is about to go out the fucking window <clears throat> okay I, I, but let me just let me just precurse this all right by going back to what you said brandon because it takes you back to when you said 15 year old brandon didn't have too many problems yeah okay the song that transports no, 15 year old me, brandon was a pretty happy dude the before song, life beat him down exactly my my feelings exactly my man the the song that transports me more potently and efficiently than any other piece of work is umbop by hansen Fuck okay. yes, We've bring it. I don't give a fuck what anyone why? thinks. I don't care what anyone thinks. You put on that song, as soon as you hear that, dun, 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 you go, oh man, I remember when I used to ride bicycles. And when I had rollerblades and when I didn't know what debt was or taxes, you didn't know about any of that shit. You didn't have a care in the world when everyone in the world was listening to Umbop. Don't get me wrong. It's not a bad song. It's not a great song. It's, it's a great piece of pop work. But if you're talking about a song that transports you, that takes you back or that, that hits an emotion, you no one had a care in the world if you liked Umbop. I remember going to a girl's house that I had a crush on. She was covered wall-to-wall -wall Hanson posters. I walked into her bedroom. I walked out five seconds later. I didn't have a crush on her anymore. I was like, it was awkward and weird. I was like, people love that band so much. That captures a, t a moment in time. And I'm not ashamed to say it. it was when I was discovering bands like Blur and bands like Silverchair and bands like Pearl Jam versus Oasis, Green everything, Green Day, everything, every band and absorbing every different type of music and going, oh my God, look at all. It's like you walk into a toy store and someone says, you can play with anything you want. You can play with every single toy in here and you just discover music and you go, oh, music can sound like this and it can sound like that. And I didn't, I was fresh to music and then Umbop comes out and I'm like, oh, this is totally Motown derivative, but I wasn't really hip to Motown that much yet. So I just was, and it just takes you back to that time in your life. I think, I don't think anyone, you can hear Umbop and just go, ah, oh, fuck, I remember that. And that's all it's about. It's about hitting that emotion. Fuck you, Brandon. I'm going to stand by my answer. Umbop was I've dope. Got, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Amy, your thoughts on Umbop? Fuck off. Not um, you, him. I, I, was, I was very heavily into a very different genre at the time. But um, there were some other members of my household that really enjoyed that song. And I just um, found it very irritating. But, you know, could appreciate 
they were very adorable and it was very marketable. Don't be nice you know. about it. They were horrible. They were corporate whores. Don't be nice. I'm, I know what well, they I were. Don't know. You, I, just, I, you hated that I song. Like, like, like nice religious Brady Bunch kind of stuff. But it just wasn't, um, it wasn't something that caught my attention in, in any direction, to be honest, as far as music goes. Well, do you think some of it too might have been? A, uh, She's I'm so polite. She's so polite. Don't get me wrong. No, sorry, I've got to interject because I know you've had media training. I can hear that is the most media trained response. Because I'm like, because Umbop was shit. It was horrible. Like you, but you don't want to get on an interview and be like, Hanson fucking sucks. They represent everything I hate in music. I get you. I've heard your songs. You're 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 a true artist. Don't you know what? I, I think I did meet them as a child, and they were so lovely and sweet. So, oh, they are. You know, I. I grew up in this industry, so I know what people go through and how hard it is and this and that. So I would never, you know, slam someone's body of work like that. But is it my taste? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think some of it had to do with, you said that a family member, so I'm guessing it was probably a sibling and it was, was it on repeat all the yeah. damn time? Yeah. Because yeah. I know, yeah. at least I know when I was a kid, I've got a kid now and they can listen to things <laughs> over and but over. But I do that over. now. So, you know, if I get fixated on a song or I I have to kind of learn it and like just kind of dive into whatever world that song came from, I'm I'm a stickler for the on repeat as well. I probably drive people crazy around me, so Yeah. <laughs> well, I also I think it, I think it kind of depends on it being your kind of music. Because actually, now that I think about it, I do it. I did it with Kalen's song. Like, we talked about this on the podcast. I had his, I had my headphones on for an entire Sunday as I cleaned the house. I was vacuuming. I was cleaning the kitchen. And uh, Kalen Chase had this single out, and I listened to that thing on repeat. I mean, that's all I did. It kept me motivated to keep going. But then I played it twice in a week in front of my wife. And she's like, you're playing this song again? Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. Like, th th that was like three days ago. Like, really? Yeah. You, can't, you can't give it that much of a break? Uh, well, let me ask you this. I'm curious, Amy, on your answer on this. Let's say we're talking about any song. Because any song that you fall in love with, but you're going to listen to it on repeat. Is there a point where, let's say you've got one of your songs, you're saying Mbop is not your particular choice of music, which is a very good way to put it. Let's take a piece of music that is your type of music that you fall in love with, you want to listen on repeat. Do you, can you play it enough to the point when you're like, I'm fucking over this song? Like, do you uh, wear it yeah, out? Probably. Uh, yeah. But then I'll take a break from it and then, you know, I'll go back to it. But that's, you know, if you, that's the connection and the relationship that you establish with music that makes it so fun is that it can transport you and mesmerize you. And, you know, it's just a, and if you have that type of relationship with music, it's something that's with you for your whole life. So. Well, I think that's something that, a lot of people can do is that if you're listening to a song over and over, eventually you kind of move on from it, but give it maybe what, six weeks, a year. This is one of the things that I love about um, when I make playlists on Spotify or something, I'll make a playlist and then I forget about it. Like I'll listen to that thing over and over. It's got like 20 or 30 songs on it. And then I just kind of forget about it. I go back a year later and I'm like, Holy crap. Like this is stuff I really dug. And you know, what helps too? time of year. I've noticed. Yes, true. If it's summer or if it's Christmas time or it's, you know, winter, whatever it is, you kind of gravitate back to those same things at that same time of a year. Yes. True, so I, very I've, true. So I've got a question, Amy. Have you got one, what would be, if you had to pick the number one album that you go, okay, you can listen to it, you go back to it once a year, once every six, whatever it is, and you go back to it over and over again and go, oh, I forgot how much 
this is just my favorite album. I think everyone's got Probably, at least... Probably uh, Massive Attack Protection. Um, what else? Portishead Dummy. She got the best fucking taste. Uh, Jesus Christ, those are amazing what albums. What yeah, those are definitely up there. Oh, Laura, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, you can't touch that. Yes. Um, so, yeah. I remember you couldn't get away from that album. I had, yeah. when that album first came out, I think I had maybe like three or four different groups of friends that I would kind of hang out with. And that was the one album every single group would listen to. Yeah. And it yeah. was just, it was always the music when, you know, if you're just hanging out, it was just, it was on in the background. If somebody wanted to sing to it, that was it. That album was gigantic. No, that's, yeah. that album was the perfect blend of artistry with pop enough pop hooks that came, came back around and, and perfect song structure. And her voice was just, just Incredible. magical. The lyrics and yeah. talk about someone that had a message in her songs. I mean, yeah. that album just blew my mind open about, you know, things that we're not taught in school and should be and about mm. love and what that means and, you know, feeling completely let down by someone that you adore. And I mean, that really just opened up my whole world, not just musically. And I think it takes very specific artists that have the capacity to do that with someone where it extends more beyond musically appreciated. It literally opens your mind up, which I think is such an incredible thing to be able to do. Oh, I think that's the purpose of music that, that gets lost in the, in the ether of what you were just discussing. The kids don't have that relationship to music anymore. So they can't, they can't be reached to the level that music like that album had. And I remember when she won E just fucking every Grammy that was available that year. I remember thinking what a beautiful moment for the fact that an artist that pushed those boundaries was recognized and didn't fall into the, oh, it was ahead of its time, too bad. You know, 10 years later, people are paying attention to that record. It was really, it, it, it landed perfectly in the stratosphere of the culture at the time and was accepted and appreciated and respected the way it was supposed to be, where there are so many albums that, that get made like that that miss that mark because they just, they don't land at the right time. Yes. You said, um, obviously, growing up in the industry kind of shaped how you see it. Um, yeah. Would you say that being a singer and, and, and going down this path is something that you've always wanted? Was it something that maybe you wanted early on and changed a little bit? Or how did that all kind of come together for you to now with the new album coming out uh, here in October? Well, it was definitely a, a battle because I didn't, you know, nothing that I've done musically has been driven by the need or even want for, you know, a certain kind of attention. And because of the position that I'm in within my family, it will obviously attract certain kinds of attention that, you know, in the past I wasn't really comfortable with. So it was very conflicting. Um, but music was something that is always just, I feel like it picked me. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a decision. It, it was just something that was just so intrinsic and natural to just my existence as a whole. And I can't really imagine not having it in my life the way it is now, but it has been a really long journey. And, you know, there's been a lot of bumps on the road. And as I mentioned, sorry, excuse me. Hi. <laughs> sorry. So here that, you got a dog. dog there. That, that dog's all around. <laughs> Heidi's agreeing with me because she's like so tired of seeing me freak out over so many different scenarios that I've had to go through. But um, essentially I loved music always have, always wanted to write. I started writing poetry then. I kind of knew I could sing, but I was really uncomfortable with that because I didn't know what that meant or 
or who to tell or what to do about that because there was always so much else going on around me and my family. So um, I think now I'm finally at a place where I'm stable and comfortable and connected to all of it and know exactly what I want, have a great team, and that's why this album's been able to finally be completed. So, yeah, it's basically been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so how long had you been working on this album specifically? Has it been a, a work in progress over a length of time or was it, you know, really just over the like past year or so? Well, this is actually, um, you know, I had a previous album before this that I wasn't able to release for just legal mess reasons. So this is actually my second completed album. And, um, uh, got into some issues with some um, representation that I had at the time, and it delayed things. I have no and idea what that feels like. I did write, I did write with people overseas, and then um, kind of uh, found the record company that I was comfortable with because I was having multiple meetings and with this person, that person, and, and nowhere felt right, and no deal on the table seemed to make sense until um, last year. So it finally all came together, and then of course we venture into the world of the pandemic which caused some more delay but i'm you know happy that it's all worked out and i feel like everything happens when it's supposed to so let me ask you a question i, I am i correct in what i read that you've only played three shows so far <laughs> or is was it off one album cycle that you only did three shows there was something that i read um i haven't played many shows before i've played i'd say about eight shows okay um and you know it's something that i think a lot of people around me doubted I'd ever be able to do because I think I'm Why? quite introverted and I don't really like to be the center of attention and all of that. And I think that there was a lot of that the people around me were more stressed and doubtful than I was about it. So when that finally did come and I, you know, was able to, to perform, I, I think everyone was a little bit surprised that I got through it and I did okay and all of that. And I actually really enjoy it. And, you know, though I don't throw myself around on stage, like some other members of my family, it's very, very different, but, you know, I think that that's a different relationship you establish when you're a musician, um, you know, that you have your studio writing persona and then you have your performing persona. And so I'm forward to kind of strengthening the performing part of what I'm doing. So, What does your performance persona look like a little bit? If Since, people, since, you're, mention <laughs> since you're mentioning it and people haven't had much of a chance to see it, how do you view your performance persona differently? Well, I mean... Uh, I'm such a stickler for detail, so I, I have to work pretty hard to get my mind out of, you know, is the sound check perfect? Is my in-ear monitor sounding perfect? Do I need to, you know, it, there's so much that goes into it that I don't think people realize. So it takes, you know, a very concentrated effort for me to get out of that headspace and into in the moment and connecting, you know, when we did have audiences. And now it's even more challenging because you have to try and emote more because people are essentially watching you through their phones and laptops <laughs> and desktops and stuff. So it's added a whole other kind of challenge to it. But, um, you know, I, I think I've done an okay job at embracing that. And I played a show um, just on Friday and that went really well. And it was actually really fun. And even though there was only a couple people in the room, um, you still kind of got – it was weird. You could kind of still get that same – feeling that you do when you're performing for people. So whether that's here to stay long-term or not, I don't know. I hope not and, you know, so that people can go and see live music again. But, um, yeah, I really, I really am enjoying that. Are you going to look to do any more of those sort of uh, streaming shows? Like, is that something that yeah. you're going to hopefully, yeah. you know, do a little bit more? Uh, obviously, with the pandemic happening, you're very limited on what you can do. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, we're definitely looking at some other platforms to, to stream through as well as um, some stripped down acoustic versions of some of the songs from the albums that we would just do through a, a live stories on Instagram for free for people. Um, so, yeah, lots of stuff coming up that we're working on. Was there a moment growing up when you knew, like it finally clicked just how big your family was and is? Um, you know, I didn't, I got a pretty clear idea of that because I think not long after I was born, I was immediately on a tour bus with my dad and Motley Crue. So I got a pretty clear indication <laughs> for certain amounts of attention. But, you know, my parents worked really hard and did a really great job of never letting me feel like any sense of entitlement or, or superiority or, or any of those toxic elements that I think a lot of people struggle with when they're born into these situations. So, you know, they kept it very humble and, you know, we were always really well taken care of and, and, you know, we traveled a lot, which I think was um, really incredible to be able to do and teaches you so much that, you know, beyond what any school can. And I think just being exposed to so many different people, all of them so lovely and, um, you know, just, adoring in a, in a really gen, genuine way. I mean, my dad has the most incredible fans. They're, they're three years old to 80 years old. So, you know, just a, it was just an inc incredible way to kind of grow up and see, and, and see things from a very unique perspective, I guess. So as you've progressed through the music industry, was there any moments where you knew, okay, I need to probably get some advice from a family member here because you might be in, um, you know, a place you had never been before or have there been moments where it's like, I want to make this decision on my own and you're kind of locking in on what it is that you want. Yes. I mean, you know, what, what I do is quite different and my approach is quite different. You know, I'm a, a creator, I'm an artist. Um, I don't really naturally have the, um, the same temperament that I think a lot of super successful, very business orientated minds have. You know, I think I'm a bit more um, sensitive and emotional and, you know, I want to give everyone three chances and believe that they're not, you know, in it for alternative motives. And, you know, and then I'm like, well, maybe they're just going through a hard time and this and that. So it's not really, it's not really a great um, quality to have for business at times. Um, for other stuff, it's obviously a nice thing to be able to have is a lot of compassion, but it definitely has gotten me in trouble. And, you know, there've been times where I've been like, okay, you know, certain members of my family, how do I handle this? What do I do? And, you know, they're like, you just, you, you've got to just be really direct and really firm and really hardcore. And you can't, you know, these people are not your friends. This is about business and this and that. And that's when I just get so like, they will try it all because, you know, I'm picking up on the person's childhood pain while I'm being convinced that they're in it for the wrong reasons. And I'm like, oh God. So... It sounds like a, a, a definitely an internal struggle that doesn't make it easy to, you know, kind of progress in the industry because, you know, Shim and I know we've been doing this long enough that you do run into those people who they have different motives for doing things or they, they don't necessarily have your best interest in right. mind. That's one of the reasons why I like doing this with Shim is that we have our best interests in mind. We just want to talk and have fun doing the podcast and that's about it. Yeah. And focus on music. And like, and making, oh, we try to, we'll try to focus on music. I mean, it's, until we go down the rabbit hole, but yeah, I mean, I, I I'm a, I, I cannot fathom the, uh, details of some of the stuff. You, oh, oh you've dropped out. She's dropped out for a second. 
I've still got Brandon, so oh, I think you... that. Yep, I got there you. Go. Yep, your your net just okay. dropped out for a second there. No, but I was just in the middle of saying I can't fathom the complexities of what you've had to deal with. But on my end, I know it's like, yeah, it's a massive struggle to be like, okay, I, I get into this business because I want to not deal with anxiety and drama. I want to deal with making love, music, po you know, positivity, all the good stuff and the, the positive emotions and the ride that comes with it. And as soon it's as you- It's almost the exact opposite. It's the exact it? fucking opposite. As soon as you start to get yeah. one step up and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to start doing this a little bit more professional and I'm, I'm swimming upstream and I'm, I'm hanging out with other people who are also swimming in the same direction. And then suddenly someone wants to take a pound of flesh or someone wants to fucking take, you know, yeah. sign this thing or do this thing. And I'm like, it's, but everyone's got this, the only, the only significant commonality is that it is common. It's everyone yeah. deals with it. So we're in our own little club. And the irony is, is that when it happens to you, it makes you feel very lonely, it makes you feel very alone, very small. And that's why we have to stick together as artists because we exist in this little microcosm that births the rest of the business. But no one else lives in that bubble. They're all outside the bubble trying to figure out what to do with us. And so it's a very, mm -hmm. it can be a very lonely, bizarre place to be. And I can't imagine having the dichotomy of, a family that has gone to the top of that mountain at the same time you're trying to find a different mountain and do a different thing and you come and go and you're i mean man but more power to you for handling things the way that you have handled it because i cannot imagine the complexities of what your artistic journey has been but they're definitely more complex than mine and mine are fucked up enough so i i <laughs> uh, when i say yeah. i pay mad respect to you i mean it thank you i mean there were definitely moments along the way where i was like you know, all signs are pointing in another direction, clearly, like maybe these are all signs that I just, this just isn't for me because I just, I mean, it just be beyond at times where I just feel like I just could not get a break. But, um, you know, I'm glad that I kind of soldiered through it and hopefully that's behind me now to a degree. Well, it'll be, it'll just be more different things. It never ends. It's just, I think it's, yeah. you just, you learn to deal with them a little bit yeah. better. I think that's something yeah. that you learn through life is that as you experience things and it's and when you're younger, it's a lot of things. See, that's why, and this is, I'm going full loop on this. Do one. it, bring it, bring it back around, back around. Stuff. We were talking about blind man and, and deuces are wild for those songs because that was when I was like 15 years old. And then you, you like, then life starts to come at you and you start to have to deal with things that you've never had to deal with for, uh, before. And it doesn't matter how well your parents prepare you, you're still going to be unprepared. Like they're, they're, they can do whatever they can. It's going to be the first time you got to deal with certain things and you're getting thrown to the world <laughs> and you got to figure it out on your own. So I think as you grow, you learn to deal with that stuff. It's never going to completely go away. You learn to welcome it and be like, all right, I, you know, I know what's happening here. And I think, and you, you, you get to, you build uh, yourself stronger because of it. I think that's one of the things that's the same as with musicians and creating and being an artist in general, but with every person who exists on the planet. I know for me, what, what I learned early on, your parents can't teach you who you are. They can teach you everything else, but they can't teach you who you are. You have to just figure that out on your own. And sometimes you figure it out when you're 14. Sometimes you figure it out when you're 40 or later or whatever it is. But then the next challenge is, well, now I need to make decisions as the person that I am. It's one thing to go, this is who I am, and I figured it out, yay for me. Then you go, okay, now what, are, what, what decisions do I make now that that's who I'm choosing to be? I know who I am. Now, and then you suddenly you start to make these decisions and you get the pushback from the world. That's when the real challenges come. That's when dude, I'm yeah. 40 years old. I still don't know. Who no I one am. figures it out, dude. That's, that's what all music is. There is only one song. Who the fuck am I really? 
That's the only <laughs> song there is. <laughs> I mean, look at Britney Spears. I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. I mean, there you go. Yeah. And Umbop. Yeah, perfect example. I mean, bring yeah. it. If we're talking about <laughs> that shit. <laughs> well, that's a perfect Why do you think? Sorry, episode. I'm just, I'm just going to wrap it up. But what? why do you think, what why now? do you what think now? that chorus? Umbop, it's literally a 13 year old kid saying, I don't know who the fuck I am. Doopy doo. Like, <laughs> like it's, a, it's a, the song you're going to skip to. You yeah. Skip it down the and street. They, Things but are they, going good. That's the beauty of that fucking song. Pay tribute to that fucking song because a kid was able to go, I'm going to write a song about the fact that I don't know who I am yet. And it was the biggest hit in the world. They just embraced who they were and who they were not. Peace out. Mic drop. Done. Boom. <laughs> I'm just, I'm telling you, my one experience with uh, Mbop was I was still in high school, but I think I was a senior. And I mentioned this on an earlier podcast. The, the girl who sat in the desk in an earlier class before me clearly loved Hanson yeah. because the desk was covered <laughs> in Kaylee and what were the what were the dude's names? Whatever. Like what was like the drummer's name? It was like Kaylee you know Amy. Amy, Amy knows. What was it? Like, was it? Was no, and it was. I think it was Taylor. Was one of them Tyler Taylor was, or Taylor? Taylor was one of them. I think one of them was Zach. Right. Zach was the singer. Yep. <laughs> and then I don't remember the other one. It's all coming Sorry. back to me. Well, it was, it was one of them. And we'll say, we'll say it was Taylor. And it was just the whole desk was covered with Kaylee and Taylor hearts and Mbop. And I mean, I mean, truly, like if, if I had done this, I would have gotten busted for graffiti. But this 15 year old girl, this 14 year old girl was able to write all over this goddamn desk. Mbop everywhere you know what i love that i love right. amy's face right now as we've talked to for umbop another three or four minutes she's like they're going back to umbop and she's going to talk to her management <laughs> afterwards and go what the fuck is this i thought i've got a single coming out they spend more time talking about fucking umbop than my music for christ's sake this is embarrassed i'm embarrassed at myself god bless you, know, you. god bless you for putting up with us guys on God like, bless we're gonna you. need we're, we're gonna need to get on <laughs> at least one of the guys from we're gonna need to move on from umbop because she's about to hang up mate <laughs> well, it's the perfect time to wrap up this episode of the podcast right. is what I was getting at there. So let me go through the socials here really quick. You can find Shim over on Twitter. It is at Shim Moore, S-H-I-M-M-O-O-R-E. Uh, you can also find him over on uh, Facebook. And that's just at Shim. You can find me over on Instagram or on Reddit. It is at The Real Brandalorian. Drop us a message uh, if you have any topics, questions, anything you want us to bring up on the podcast. You can also find Shim writing songs live on Friday nights. Uh, twitch.tv slash Hollywood Rebellion. That's when he does the lockdown sessions. You can literally write a song with Shim. Uh, VIP sessions, you had a couple of weeks off because you were sick. Are, those, are we They're going back, back on? Yep, every, every Saturday night, VIP session. Zoom, uh, private Zoom party. Go get it. <laughs> and uh, for Amy, she's got the new single out, House of Lies. It's available now. And then October 30th is when the new album is going to be released. And the album is going to be called Bacare Adamare. Look at you, yeah. Yes. All right, I got it. And the other thing we also have to mention that I completely spaced on before, the name of the group is Arrow. A-R-O is uh, what you're going to be looking for Very when you want to find uh, this music. So best of luck with the release, Amy. I hope everything works out uh, fantastic for you and um, that the, the, the release of the album goes swimmingly well for you. Thank you so much. It's lovely to speak with you both. Love it to speak with you too. Thank you for your time. I and really more. just want just yeah. Go I'm just, ahead. I want to wrap up with Mbop. Okay? <laughs> oh my. 
No, she, look how look how done she is. I, t I told you, I was hinting at you to fucking let's wrap this shirt up. But no, seriously, more power to you. Your music sounds fantastic. And um, and as an, one artist to another, just congratulations on getting an album out, getting something finished. I know how hard it can be. And um, and just, I wish you the best of luck in your in your musical endeavors moving forward. And, and it was really a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you so much for gracing us with your time and your presence. Thank you. Bye, take care. Take care, bye-bye. Thank you, Amy.